Paramahansa Padi Vajapacharya Asatarasata Shri Sriman His Divine Gracious A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Ananta Koti Vaishnava Rinda Ki Jai Namacharya Srila Haridasta Korki Jai Pran Shri Kaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunita Ananda Shri Advaita Shri Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jai Shri Shri Radhasham Sunda Gopa Gopina Shamakund Radhakund Giri Govardhan Ki Jai Shri Vrindavan Dham Ki Jai, Matura Dham Ki Jai, Navadvip Dham Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dham Ki Jai, Jamuna Mai Ki Jai, Ganga Mai Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Shrimati Tulsi, Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveda, Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gopaminandi. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri the Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasadaya Bhutale Shri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Namana Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharani Nivishesha Sunyavadi Pasjatya Desatarine Today we're going to speak from Bhagavad Gita and I'm going to do an overview of the second chapter. We're not going to focus in on one verse but we're going to try to get a, a a little bit of an idea what the whole chapter covers, okay? Chapter 2, Bhagavad Gita is called? It's the summary of the whole, the whole conversation of Bhagavad Gita. So, and there's 72 verses in there, but they have a flow to them. Okay, that's what, so that's what we're doing. Chapter 2. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om 
I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master very kindly forced open my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. And I'm totally indebted to him, and I beg for service life after life for that kind forcing open of my eyes, even though they're just opened a little bit, but the potential is there. I think they'll open all the way and here. So Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is the most ancient book of wisdom that there is. And what is that wisdom that's explained in Bhagavad Gita? And what's the scene? What's the story behind Bhagavad Gita? Of course, many of you <laughs> are very familiar with it. But I'm pretending that you're not, okay? All right? Hare Krishna. So this is, uh, it, you know, to, to catch the flow. Sometimes we look at specific verses so much that some, we, we forget to step back and take the overview. So what was, so the scene, set in the scene in the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita when Arjuna there, after years and years of tension in the family, he's there um, preparing, uh, the war's ready, everybody's lined up and it's, it's old-fashioned warfare where everybody was lined up in front of each other. They weren't hiding behind things and, you know, secret this is and that's. No, everyone was lined up and it was, uh, was going to be a face-off like that. And um, the sides were drawn and years of, uh, I said years of tension was there. So Arjuna, right as the battle is about to begin, Everything's arranged. Why does the battle about to begin? He wants to take a look at who's here. And so he asks his chariot driver, the, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is so interesting that we see the Supreme Lord. We hear a little bit about God. We hear, we hear about his glories and his potencies and his activities that he does and here we, we, we when we get introduced to Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita what's he doing he's driving the chariot of his servant that's very significant that's very significant and very hopeful for all of us not just great devotees like Arjuna and people that are mentioned in these sacred scriptures but for every one of us the Supreme Lord is there waiting waiting for us to turn to him when we turn to him and try to offer our attention, our love, and our devotion to him, he's there so much more willing to reciprocate with us than we are with our endeavor. But it's so, it, in, it's, a, it's totally amazing. So anyway, the Supreme Lord chariot, um, drives the chariot of Arjuna between the two armies, and he says, look Arjuna, it's just all your family members that are here. They're both sides, the family, both sides. And not just family and blood relatives, but esteemed teachers and, and, and leaders, you know, of the whole dynasty, Bhishma. So many people are there. And Arjuna starts to wonder, what's going to be the benefit of this? What's going to be the benefit if I kill all of these people and win victory? How's that going to be good for me? So that's just a little setting of the scene there. So, as what happens in um, uh, life, when we are come in contact with questions, when our, when our life is going on a certain path, 
and it's like a one-way street. We're going up or wherever to our goal, and everything's fine. That's so nice. But when there's a little um, uh, diversion in the road, when there's a choice, do you want to go to the left? Do you want to go to the right? Do you want to go this way? Are you going to go that way? Then you really need to consider what my goal is and how am I going to get there in the best way. So that's what Arjuna was considering. What's my goal here? Do I really want to kill everybody in my family on both sides and then, you know, be happy in my kingdom with none of my relatives there? So it, he, he uh, second chapter or uh, first chapter ends with Arjuna's doubt. Is this really good? Second chapter begins with Arjuna questioning. He's becoming more and more bewildered and he's asking Krishna, you know, I don't think I can figure this out on my own and I need some help. So I'm not going to fight, but I surrender to you. Can you please guide me? So he does things in a little contrary way. He decides that he's not going to fight, but then he asks for advice. So that's a very, uh, also a very mm, important step. Asking for the advice from somebody who knows more than us. Guru, accepting a guru. And what does that mean? It means that the guru is a teacher who's heard knowledge in a succession from previous teachers so that the understanding that he has of the scriptures is in, is in accord with the um, what's called parampara, the, the, the chain of teachers, and he's speaking in that way. So that's one of the first subject matters of Bhagavad Gita. We need to accept the guru if we, need, if we want to make spiritual progress. Now, in this day and age, it's a little hard to swallow. Why do I need to accept the guru? I, if, if the knowledge is there inside me, a self-realization, if I'm a pure spirit soul, if that's inside me, then why can't I just figure it out on my own? That's a little um, unusual way to approach things, too. Because you could say that about any certain thing and everyone would think you were kind of crazy. Like if you would say that about, well, I want to be a doctor, but why do I have to go to medical school and learn from, you know, those guys there? Why don't I just read the books on my own and then I'll just start my own practice? I don't think that it'd have very many takers. And besides the whole licen licensing system, it wouldn't be allowed for half of a second once it soon got distracted. So what do you think, what if you want to be a teacher in school, but you don't want to go to college to learn, you know, and get your degree, your teaching certificate and everything? That's also not very, it, it, that's totally, it's totally accepted that for different um, levels or different careers or different processes of learning knowledge, you have to go to somebody who knows. Even if you're going to be someone, um, you know, an air conditioning repair person, then you need to go to people who know how to do it and learn from them and then go from there. So, so although it seems unpalatable to say, if you want to make progress in spiritual life, you need to accept a guru. We're doing it all the time. We're doing it all the time. So why don't we apply that to our quest for spiritual life also? It only makes sense. So that's one of the first subjects of the, of the second chapter, Gita, uh, of the second chapter of the Gita, the, to accept a guru in order to um, make progress. So Krishna, no, Arjuna says, in the seventh verse, of the second chapter. He says, Now I'm confused about my duty and have lost all my composure because of miserly weakness. In this condition, I'm asking you to tell me for certain 
what's best for me. Now I'm your disciple and a soul surrendered to you. Please instruct me. So Arjuna's dilemma is, is his dilemma is his question of identity. That's the second topic. Who am I? Am I Arjuna, member of the, the, the Pandavas, and member of this Kuru dynasty? Or am, do I have another identity? So the spiritual master, the, the second major topic in this second chapter is the spiritual master speaks to our identity, who we really are, spirit, soul. The body is the covering, just like, uh, but inside the body is the uh, spiritual spark. The body's covering is temporary. It has certain capacities, it this and that. It has a certain time limit on it. And when the time is up, then it's time to change the body. But beyond that change of body is the conscious, the, the, the pure, the consciousness of the soul, which continues body after body, life after life. So Krishna immediately takes the position uh, um, to inform Arjuna that don't focus on your temporary identity, focus on your spiritual identity. So first we have, uh, first subject is the guru, G for guru, I is for identity, and then in the process of explaining the difference between the body and the soul, and uh, um, the temporary but important duties of the, uh, to maintain the body, and the more important duty to understand that we're a spirit soul beyond the body so that we actually make real progress and not just make a comfortable situation in this life here that's going to be taken away from us sooner or later. Also, you have to um, cultivate an understanding of, uh, of your eternal duties, sanatan dharma. So the next subject matter that's talked about in the second chapter is two, two duties. We have two duties. We have a duty to maintain the body and those who we have a relationship with, uh, depending on what your position is to maintain the family, this or that, in, in an economic way or this way, and maintain the relationships or how others support that. So we have that identity and that's very important. We shouldn't neglect that. Oftentimes when people mm, take to spiritual life with full enthusiasm, they're thinking the only way to make progress is to renounce everything in the world. This is all Maya and I'm just gonna focus in on my spiritual life. I'm gonna you know, renounce all of that. But actually, uh, Krishna explains, no, we have two identities, uh, Svadharma, who we are in this body and what our service is and what our duties are, and sanatana dharma, eternal, our eternal identity as a spirit soul. And they both need to, to be um, attended to uh, with equal measure, with equal measure. Not just focused on bodily consciousness and bodily comforts, but also focus in on our real identity. And that's what... Um, uh, Krishna's reminding Arjuna that focus in on your real identity, those two duties. Dharma uh, loosely gets translated 
it's, it's one of those um, Sanskrit words that has lots of different meanings and lots of different connotations to it. Just like the word Atma. Atma has so many different connotations to it. Atma means the body. Atma means the mind. Atma means the self, the soul also. And then you put a Parama in front of it and you get the Supreme Lord and you put an, you know, there's so many different ways that Atma. So Dharma also has many connotations to it. So Dharma loosely translated means duties. But there, there's duties that, I've been saying, that maintain the body. And then there's our spiritual duty. And, uh, and that, in spiritual circles, that's often given a lot of stress. What's our spiritual duty? Because that duty, or that, those instructions, or that emphasis on life, that's really going to propel us forward to make progress in spiritual realization. Yes, we need to be responsible in our material situation. Yes, that's understood. But what's going to really propel us forward in spiritual life is not pious activities of maintaining the body and those around us, but in our spiritual pursuit of actually understanding who we really are so that this, these mm, uh, challenges that come to us during our lifetime here will all be put in proper perspective. And that it's a question, again, of perspective. We need the proper perspective in life to understand, I'm just passing through here. <laughs> and it's quite a temporary little show. Even though I think and I feel like it's um, well situated, it can be gone and taken from me in a second. And as you, um, the more time you spend in the body, the more you realize this is a real, it's a real short show here, you know? And, and it's, the real thing is to focus in while I have some strength, while I have some clarity of intelligence, while I have some ability to realize what, how important this is, to, to develop that relationship, to develop our, mm, yeah, develop that service attitude towards the Lord so that our consciousness will become fixed even in the most disturbing circumstances. Even in the most disturbing circumstances will remain fixed on understanding who we are. That as a spirit soul, there's equality. There's equality. It's so hard to remember that in this day and age. <laughs> but there's equality between all the different types of people, all the different cultures, all the different living entities, not only in the human form, but in every single form. The equality is there, the fact that each individual is part and parcel of that same Supreme Lord. We have a, we have a relationship with the Lord, and so does everybody else. So, it definitely, in this age of Kali, quarrel, and, and dissension, everybody likes to focus on the differences. Our opinions are so strong in this circle, and we see, you know, without even touching on the political situation as it is today, but we see just a nation divided, so forcefully divided on any issue, but it's like, whoa, it's really, mind-blowing to say the least okay so but how did how how can that be overcome it can't be overcome by 
you know, whitewashing the differences. It has to be overcome by transcendental knowledge to understand that there's a relationship, there's a, there's a key, there's a link there between everyone. And let's focus in on those, that link of, of spiritual identity as apart from that temporary I, me, and mine mentality, thinking that this group of I, me, and mines are superior to that group of I, me, and mines. You know, it, it just creates, um, as we see, more and more um, uh, dissension between different groups. So, um, Krishna stresses to Arjuna that, yes, you have your... You're, right now you're thinking that if you renounce what you're supposed to do as a fighter, if you renounce that, you'll be happy. So, but that's, that's, that's a fallacy, Krishna says to him very clearly. Actually, if you renounce what you're supposed to do and do what you think you want to do because that will make you more happy, that's actually going to make you more miserable. That's quite amazing. And to apply that in our life, that's also quite, it takes, um, <laughs> takes a little discipline, doesn't it? It takes a little discipline. Um, so, so Krishna says very clearly, no, actually this, uh, um, this arrangement of this battlefield, it, you're seeing it through your eyes, what's going to make you happy. But I'm seeing it through a different lens, a bigger picture. And this is going to be better for the whole world situation. When, when the, the, um, the dissension that's been created by the, the Kurus, when that is all cleared up, this is, that situation is going to be better for the, um, the entire world. And that's a, um, another thing, is to understand that there's a certain plan of the Lord there. And that's also, you're going to have a million questions on that one. How do we know what the plan of the Lord is? Well, that's a whole other topic that we'll talk about another time. Okay, but anyway, the Lord again is stressing the identity of a spirit soul, the identity of your sanatan um, dharma, uh, the eternal relationship. So another another um, aspect of and one what the Lord says is okay. Wait, I was going to read text thirty-eight. Hold on, because this talks about the sanatan dharma. I'll just give you the translation. So this is what. Um, Krishna is ultimately uh, instructing Arjuna, which he, he can't accept it right off the bat, but he tries to. Anyway, so Krishna says to him, Do thou fight for the sake of fighting without considering happiness or distress, loss or gain, victory or defeat, and by so doing, you shall never incur sin. So that, this is a special circumstance right here with Arjuna, with the Supreme Lord um, on that battle. But what Krishna is saying to him, do your, do this, uh, do your recommended duty because this is what I want. And I'm, you know, just happen to be the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So I have a little clout in this issue here. So this is what I want. And if you do, if you do your activities to please the Lord, whether we're enthusiastic about it or, 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 um, or not at the time, if there's some temporary, you know, um, disturbance in the mind, we think, I don't want to do this today. I don't want to chant my rounds today. I don't want to just, I don't whatever. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. 
then that's why Srila Prabhupada has us take vows so that we can do it through the um, sankalpa and vikalpa from the um, acceptance and rejection of the mind we can go beyond that acceptance and rejection and do what is the ultimate good for our spiritual progress even though it might be a little a little bit of a challenge every now and then so um, the problem is is that in, in general people act only on their own personal whims and therefore that's what creates all the, dif dis the difficulties so what is the result if someone so Krishna says he continues on in the next section of verses he continues on and says if you act in this way this is where you're going to get um, peace and happiness so he says in the 59th verse um, he says the embodied soul may be restricted from sense enjoyment though the taste for sense object remains but by see but ceasing such engagements by experiencing what this is a really important verse by experiencing a higher taste he is fixed in consciousness so that's this is the key to our mm, continuing in, in Krishna consciousness is to experience that higher taste by having the preliminary um, surrender to the Supreme Lord um, in the following the, the rules and regulations to our best of ability and associating with devotees chanting in in congregation with the devotees whether it's here at the temple or at your home or in groups or whatever but having that taste for spiritual life that will actually make the distractions and the temptations for you know lower less less favorable activities it'll it'll just flow away it'll just gradually lose the grip our attraction for material life so Krishna is now talking about what's the um, what's the results of do of accepting a guru, understanding what our identity is, and understanding our two duties in life. What's the what's the result is um, one will become atmaram. So that's a little this whole little um, uh, grouping of four uh, these four categories. This is something that um, Swayam Bhagavan Keshava Maharaj he's written a little book on acronyms for the bhagavad-gita back when he was a brahmachari and uh so that's the acronym gita for the second chapter of the of the of the gita the acronym is gita g for guru accept a guru i for identity well you're not your body we're a spirit soul um t is the two duties we have the duty to maintain the body and the family and we also have our duty for our spiritual progress in life uh, that's swadharma and sanatan dharma and a is for atmaram and in that that little acronym helps us cover helps us remember remember the four major categories of philosophy that's explained in the second chapter of the Gita it's really quite I, I just I've just been reading them the last few weeks and they're quite nice and I wanted to share that with you so Atmarama there's let's go to another verse in that section of the Atmarama where it talks about the qualities um, 
uh, text 55, the last section, um, from 54 to 72, that last section of the, of the second chapter explains the qualities of someone who's, oh, Atmarama, sorry in case, Atmarama means one who's self-satisfied, satisfied in this, their self-identity as a spirit soul. So, um, uh, Krishna says in the 55th verse, when a man gives up all varieties of desire for sense gratification which arise from mental concoction, and when his mind, thus purified, finds satisfaction in the self alone, then he is said to be in pure consciousness. And what's the result of that pure consciousness is that we won't be so disturbed. One who is not disturbed in mind, even amidst the threefold miseries, or elated when there's happiness, and who is free from attachment, fear, and anger, is called a sage of a steady mind. So there's an example that Krishna gives how the mind becomes deep when our understanding of ourself as a spirit soul really deepens and becomes solid, then it's like the, um, kind of like compared to the ocean, like the depths of the ocean. So there are always distractions, always desires, always so many um, thoughts coming into the mind that uh, could possibly pull one away from their uh, spiritual focus. But if one is deep like the ocean, just like there's, um, so many rivers that enter into the ocean, but the ocean doesn't get dis it doesn't get any more full from all those rivers entering in, and it doesn't get any less when there's a drought on the land. The ocean stays the same. So similarly, if we can become uh, convinced, solidly convinced, steadily convinced, deeply convinced of our um, position as a servant of Krishna, then when good things happen, that's okay, we can be happy in them, but we don't go overboard. And when, when the, and more importantly is, when the difficulties come in life, there's transcendental knowledge there to help us ride over the disturbances caused by the, whatever circumstances are there. Because there's a depth to our understanding, and that depth comes from uh, uh, Pursuing transcendental knowledge, following the following the teachings of the Lord and the basic principles of Bhakti Yoga. So here in the 70th verse, there's that example of the ocean. A person who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires, which which means this is not part of the verse, which means that the desires are there. We don't negate the, the desires, and we can't and you can't come. Be, there's no way that a person beca can become desireless. They're always there. So, um, a person who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires that enter like rivers into the ocean, which is ever being filled but is always still, can alone achieve peace and not the person who strives to satisfy such desires. And uh, I'll just read the last two verses. A person who has given up all desires for sense gratification, who lives free from desires, who has given up all sense of proprietorship, and is devoid of false ego, he alone can attain real peace. That is the way of spiritual and godly life, after attaining which a person is not bewildered. If one is thus situated, even at the hour of death, one can enter into the kingdom of God. And that's the whole um, clue and focus of the Bhagavad Gita. 
so that our minds may become fixed on the lotus feet of Sri Krishna, so even at the most disturbing test in our life, when we're about to be ripped out of the body, <laughs> and everything that we're attached to, and everything that we're comfortable with, and everything that we've tried to, that somehow or other that prayer can be offered to the lotus feet of the Lord. Please accept me as your servant. Please guide me to your lotus feet. Please help me make progress and continue in your service. And I was just hearing, just today, I'm just trying to think of who it was. And it was either, maybe it was Chaitanya Ch Charan Prabhu. He was saying that that, he, um, no, it was Swain Bhagavan Kesha Maharaj was saying he was, he was, um, uh, remembering a, um, an incident with Srila Prabhupada, a pastime with Srila Prabhupada, where uh, the devotee was saying, Srila <clears throat> Prabhupada, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to remember Krishna at the time of death. And, Krishna, and Prabhupada said, more or less, this is my wording of it, he said, don't you worry. You've dedicated your life to making, attempting to make progress on the spiritual path. Even if you can't remember Krishna at the time of death, he'll remember you. He'll forcibly enter your mind and, 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 and you'll remember him in some way or other. And, and that's confirmed in Sri Shapanishad. Sri Shapanishad in the 10th verse in the purport, Sri the Prophet says exactly that also. He said, even if at the time of death one is unable to remember Krishna, Krishna will remember all the service that you've done or attempted to do. Can you think of some examples in the scriptures that confirm that? How Krishna remembered different services that people did and saw them in a different way? Ruchira? Ajmil? Ajmil. Ajmil, yes. And there is, that's, yeah, that's our classic example. Ajmil, there he was at the time of death, even though he started off his life on a very nice path, strict brahminical path and religious path, got a little deviated there and Took a, took a left turn and really went down a different path for many, many years, plundering and exploiting and killing and whatever to maintain his family. And at the time of death, he's there, a, you know, an old man being, you know, visited by the Yamadutas, but his son is playing nearby. But by some good fortune, even though he lived a completely irreligious life for most of his life, he had the good fortune of naming his son Narayan. So he's thinking, Narayan, come and help me. Narayan. And Krishna, just by hearing his name being called, he sent his, he sent his um, messengers to come and fight off the Yamadutas. And they're the only ones that are capable of fighting off Yamadutas, just in case you think you could do some things. <laughs> yes, dear, what would you like to add? Gajendra, Gajendra. That's a very interesting story, too. Thank you. The gender, there he was, the king of the world, King Indra the king of the world, very religiously executing his, his duties, his svadharma, his duties as a king and as a governor and every, taking care of the... Then he comes to the uh, older years in his life and he thinks, okay, now it's time to focus in on my spiritual life. So he goes, he, he puts his somebody, I don't know, probably his son, but anyway, he puts somebody in charge of the kingdom, he goes off and, and he focuses in on his spiritual life, and he's making lots of progress, he's totally absorbed, and one day while he was totally absorbed in spiritual life, meditating on the Supreme Lord, this great sage comes in 
and he's so absorbed that he doesn't even notice somebody came in the room in, in his house he doesn't even notice and that person just happens to be a little bit edgy and gets offended that he doesn't get recognized or or even you know addressed or anything and said so in the end I don't want to get distracted, but it's interesting, isn't it? Perception. There's the devotee. So you're, the, you're King Indradumna because you're sitting there so nicely, okay? So there's King Indradumna meditating on the Supreme Lord, totally absorbed in love of the Lord, whatever stage he was at. And then another person comes in and sees him, and their perception is that person's dull, that she, he, she, he can't even greet exalted guests like my good self properly, and therefore he's dull like an elephant. You become an elephant. And what was Indra attitude at that time? Okay, hotty bowl, yeah, hotty bowl, whatever happens. And, and so then when he becomes an elephant, is he remembering all those things? That he was a king and he wasn't, no, he, not, not in the beginning he wasn't. He was just by the force of material nature. He's forced, he's forced into a body and he has to accept those activities of that body. Anyway, long story short, at the time, the most difficult time in his life when he's, after 999 years fighting with a crocodile in and out of a water, um, he kind of dawns on him, I'm not going to make it. And then he remembers. Then Krishna, and who's the, who's the source of remembrance and forgetfulness? Krishna. Uh, he's a, uh, a pohanamcha, yeah, whatever, 1550. He's the source of remembrance and he's the source of forgetfulness. So he, so the, he gave him the remembrance, so Gajendra picks up with his little, you know, his big elephant trunk and he offers a, a lotus flower to the Lord and, and prays to the Lord from prayers that he had learned in his previous life. So don't, so don't, no, don't neglect that opportunity. Learn some prayers. <laughs> learn the Hare Krishna mantra first and then learn some more prayers too, you know? And then Krishna will help us and remember him. And then another person that I'm thinking of that Bart, I wasn't thinking of him, but thanks for mentioning Bart, because he has this, his journey too. I'm thinking of Putana. There she was. Kill, her intention in that body of Putana was, I want to kill this little baby. She's not thinking, um, you know, in that particular position that she's in, she's not thinking anything nice about Krishna. But Krishna remembers that in her previous life she offered a prayer. In her previous life, when she was in the arena, when Vamanadev came into Bali Maharaj's sacrifice, she saw him, she was Bali's sister at the time, if I got that right, is that right? Somebody, relative, how's that, okay? She was there, and she saw him, Vamana, she saw Vamana and she said, oh, He's so beautiful. If I had a son, I wish he would be like that. I would love him so much, you know? And then when the pastime played out and Bali was defeated by Vamanadev and wrapped up in the ropes of Varuna and was being arrested for not completing his promised three steps of land, she was so upset, she said, but if I had a son like that, I'd kill him. But she thought of a good thought. She thought, if I had that person as my son, that Lord as my son, I would love him so much. And Krishna remembered that. She approached him 
to, uh, with her breath smeared with poison. But Krishna remembered, oh, she's, Krishna thought, oh, she's coming with, with, as a mother. And she offered prayers to me in her last life. Therefore, let her, you know, make progress and be elevated to the position of a nurse, a wet nurse for Krishna in some form or other. So this is, these um, stories are not just meant to be distant stories in our, you know, in ancient books, but they're meant to be brought into our daily life and brought to how to apply that understanding, how to apply this philosophy, how to, how to, how can these encourage me in my spiritual life? So these stories are so encouraging. How the Lord, mm, uh, Srila Prabhupada says, you take one step toward Krishna, he takes ten steps, hundred steps towards you. And the Prabhupada also says, Krishna wants us to go back to Godhead more strongly than we want to. So he's arranging our lives and he's arranging so many things in our lives. And if we need to step back and, and take that moment or two to appreciate all these things in my life are being very kindly arranged by Krishna, which is really easy to think of when everything's going smooth and hunky-dory, as they say, right? You know, you're financial situation is relatively secure, your health is relatively okay, the kids are relatively okay, this and that is relatively okay. Okay, then, you know, this crashes and that crashes and, you know, the health crashes and so many things. And then are we, are we as willing to say, oh, Krishna, you've so kindly arranged these wonderful things in my life. Thank you very kindly. But actually, if we take your life, no matter how old you are, if you're in your 70s and you look back a few years, you can see how all of those Mm. what appear to be calamities in your life led you along the path to be where you are now, sitting here. Or if you're only 30 years, you can think of things that happened 15 years ago, or whatever, but you can see. But often, and, and it's a very common saying, that hindsight, looking behind, looking at your life from behind, um, that's 2020. In the, in the meantime, to look forward, you need, you know, trifocals and bifocals and hearing aids and this and that and so many things. But actually, with the mm, fortified, with the knowledge that's in the scriptures, then we'll get this, the spiritual strength and the spiritual vision. And, by Krishna's grace, the spiritual understanding to accept that these things that are happening in our life, which might appear at present to be horrible or full of anxiety or whatever, te a test that's, that's too big for us to accept, that, that in, in the due course of time you'll be able to see with this basic, basic mm, understanding that Krishna is giving us in the Gita, that basic understanding that actually it's all for my good and it's all for my mm, uh, progress on the path of spiritual life takes a while, but it's possible. Do you have any comments or questions or, or arguments? Yes, Dhruva Prabhu. I remember writing my story, but it's not from Srimad Bhagavatam. Okay, it's that's alright. It's a story about uh, Prabhupada's disciples. Prabhupada's disciples, yeah. Who, who opened a temple in China. Who opened a temple in China, yeah, okay, go ahead. You know the story? Maybe, tell me a little more. Uh, Prabhupada tell uh, uh, 
for disciples who open a temple in China, I uh, myself uh, take you and uh, we go to spiritual world. Go to the spiritual world. Was, that, was he talking to Tamal Krishna Maharaj or was it somebody else? I don't else? remember names okay. Okay. I think it's not Tamal Krishna okay. Maharaj. But still. So, and one, one disciple, yes, I can do, I won't open temple in China. Okay. And he go to China and open the temple. And later he turned from spiritual world and left spiritual practice. And used drugs, live with uh, Putana, and uh, make bad things. And then he died. And this girlfriend who lived with him, oh, yeah, him yeah. you remember it? Okay, but go ahead. But, but this girlfriend uh, tell about uh, she Srila Prabhupada. So she see how Srila Prabhupada come and uh, take this disciple and they go to spiritual world together. Yeah, yeah. And there's so, thanks you for bringing that up. Because, you know, we, we read in the stories in the Bhagavatam of great saintly personalities thousands and thousands of years ago. Pallad Maharaj was protected by Lord Nishringadev. And Parikshit Maharaj was protected in the womb, etc., etc. And uh, we think, oh yeah, that'll happen for those people. But there's so many stories, thanks Jiva Prabhu for bringing up the contemporary stories of how devotees who made some some sincere effort to make progress in their spiritual life and committed to Srila Prabhupada and Srila Prabhupada saved and there's so many nice stories like that. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And that's and that's our that's our um, that's the blessings. That's our blessing for just attempting. That's Krishna taking his ten steps towards us, ten hundred thousand steps towards us for just making a small endeavor. So hopefully by hearing some of those stories and hearing these things, we'll be encouraged that in our lives today, you know, that we make more and more effort, even if it's just a small little effort. I know um, my Shashikapabu, he's, he always has these really interesting tips and sayings. So he has this one thing he calls the wedge principle, the wedge principle. Just, you know, that's like that little to open the door, you know, <laughs> sorry. Um, so just add a little something to your life. Whether it's chanting a chapter of Bhagavad Gita, if that seems like it's too long, then chant half a chapter. Just do something, chant an extra round. Just do, read a little bit, just do this. Just do a little something. Add a little something in your life every day that you can do every day, and you'll see that that will build up your spiritual strength, your spiritual muscles, and your enthusiasm to continue on. Because Life has a way to um, drain out your energy. So our, by filling up with spiritual strength, then the, that um, the, the lessening of material strength won't, won't be so noticeable if our spiritual enthusiasm is increasing gradually in the cessation of devotees. Any other comments or questions or discussions? on the second chapter overview. So what's the, what's the acronym for the second chapter, for the four topics in the, in the um, second chapter? Gita. And would you like to tell us all four words that it means? Can we give him the mic, please? Thanks. G stands for Guru. 
which is the first, you're right, which is the first step in spiritual um, progress. Accept a guru, accept someone who knows more than you in spiritual life. Go ahead. Uh, I forgot. Uh, I. I, individual identity. Identity. Because yeah. he tells Arjuna, your, your problem is, is that you're identifying with the body, but that's not your real identity. You have, what's the next one? T. Uh, T is like dharmas, two dharmas, like... Two identities. You have uh, two identities, right. Dharma. You have the identity as the body, but we also have that permanent identity as the spirit soul. And A? Yes, thanks. Yeah, so it's just, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's easy to remember. That's why these little acronyms are like so popular. Okay, anything else? You're ready for your prashadam, I'm assuming. Okay, thank you very kindly for your kind attention. I hope that was very kind. Hare Krishna. Jai Shri Prabhupada.